Okay, so you know that part of the notebook when he asked her, what do you want? Like, what do you really want? He's holding her face and they're standing in the rain and it's like the most pivotal part of the movie. This is no different to every scenario before a miracle occurs. It's no different than Hope Carpenter's experience after infidelity, after brokenness, after painstaking experiences that left her completely void. God said, what do you want? And she answered, I want to be fixed. How many of you want to be fixed? You want that ailment. You want that struggle. You want that hidden secret to go away. You want the shame to be removed. This podcast is intended to obliterate shame. It's intended to take back the win. And it's intended to activate you into the fight of your life that ultimately glorifies God. If you have never met Hope Carpenter, you're about to meet not just her, but the God within her. I pray that her book, The Most Beautiful Disaster, and this podcast connected together, transform your life from the inside out. I hope that you get to meet Jesus in the way her and I did so intimately. And I pray that it changes every part of your life for the better. He did it for her, he did it for me, And we are both partnering in the fact that he will do it for you too. We pray ultimate blessings over your day and your time as you listen to this incredible podcast. And I thank you. I thank you for being here. I thank you for showing up, not just for yourself, for everyone you're connected to, and ultimately for the kingdom. You guys, let's get fit in faith. It's time right now. Say yes. This is your God wink. The moment that heaven says, for such a time as this, it's time to own your joy, prioritize your health, discover your wealth, and exude your wholeness. It's time to become truly fit. However, this isn't a fitness podcast, though I'm a retired personal trainer and nutritionist. This isn't business jargon or tips and tricks to landing your successful passion project, though that's totally why I'm a business coach. This isn't a quick fix health detox ploy, though I'm all for therapy and I love Whole Foods. I do have a YOLO side sweet tooth though. This isn't confusing religious banter, though I'm an ordained minister still figuring out the many things and facets and faces of Jesus. It's really none of that. So I'm wondering if you're wondering, what is this? Well, This is an opportunity to join me alongside other big dreamers, innovative movers, and lifestyle shakers as we explore and share our messy comeback stories and discoveries with each of you fellow passionate seekers. The Fit and Faith movement was birthed through my own trial and error discovery of mind, body, and soul alignment, and to be totally transparent, my own entrepreneurial crash and burn experiences. I've learned firsthand that being fit isn't about our physique at all. It's not about our qualifying abilities or titles. It's not about our potential. It's truly about our God-gifted passions meeting our purpose. You are one step away from achieving your idea, your dream, your calling, your purpose, whatever you want to call it. And I want to be there for the moment that you say yes in freedom, clarity, and confidence that you are living fully fit in who and whose you were made to be. Welcome to the Fit and Faith Podcast with me, Tamara Andress. There is no better time than now to get fit. 
You guys, this feels so surreal. <laughs> I'm so excited. This is so fun. You guys, this is real life, right? This is what's so amazing. And we were just saying this offline in our quote unquote green room of the Fit and Faith podcast, how the world is really small. And uh, we could have an offline conversation or coffee or, or dinner or a whole day of just shopping and girl time because there's so much to unpack in this conversation. And so I hope that you will just pull up um, whatever is cozy to you, um, drive, be on the beach and go on a walk or whatever it is to just dive into um, the most beautiful disaster. <laughs> what a name. Um, this is Hope Carpenter, and I am so honored to have you here, Hope. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. And I loved your intro. That was so cool. Isn't it fun? <laughs> I am so grateful to my creative designer. She does all things. I, right. I give her the canvas and she goes, boom. I love so, it. It's really nice. So you guys, if you don't know Hope, Carpenter, which you should, but if you don't, you're about to get to know her very well. Uh, she is the co-founder, as the intro said, to the Redemption Church. It is a mega church in Greenville, South Carolina, and also has satellite locations in San Jose, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, Dominican Republic, and it is co-pastored with Ron Carpenter, who is her amazing husband. Yes, and did. I am grateful to know them both. I am grateful to have been served by their ministry, uh, both in person in Greenville. I've got a funny story for that one. <laughs> and also, um, oh, no. it's a good thing. It's kind of hilarious, though. Um, and then also just in their ministry, in the work that they do on a consistent basis and specifically and why I'm so excited, uh, based in Hope's uh, individual, intimate and raw story and the way that you have um, just honored God through the whole process. And so I thank you um, for being here to share with us today uh, her recent book, The Most Beautiful Disaster. And we're going to dive into all things Hope, Ron and uh, this specific journey, which is yeah. ultimately to glorify his name. That's right. It has been a journey. Oh, yeah, uh, it has been a journey. And, and the crazy thing is, and I think a lot of people wonder about this, is like having a journey that is so public, right? Yeah. You have 20,000 people on a given Sunday come through your ministry space. And that alone is hard, not to mention the pressures of just looking yourself in the mirror. Right. Um, so talk us through. I don't even know where you want to jump in. Well, you know, I have been through mounds and mounds of therapy. <laughs> Likewise. Uh, Listen, I love therapy. Therapy has just become my crack cocaine, actually, because it is so healthy. You know, one of the things that I really am fighting for right now through all of my healing journey is just the mental health awareness, just the ability to take the mask off and say, you know what? I'm struggling. I'm not good. I, I've got hidden sin. I am faking. I have been in this miserable marriage. I don't know who I am. And I've got to talk to somebody. Um, you know, we all struggle. And I think that it. We, the church has done a terrible job, a terrible job at allowing people to be honest, to allowing people to be real. And it's not um, an indictment against your righteousness or your, even your holiness, because holiness is a pursuit. It's an upward call. It is not something you attain immediately when you accept Jesus as your savior. You know, our, that we're three-part being, we're body, soul, spirit. And when we come to Jesus and get saved, accept him as the Lord of our life, <clears throat> believe that he died, rose again. The only thing that changed is our spirit came alive. So our true. mind is the same. So true. 
our bodies the same. Right. Our memories are the same. Our experiences are the same. Oh, and that's so true. And people it, are expecting you now you're a Christian robot. So no, everything is perfect, right? It, no. Absolutely not. The only thing that changed is <laughs> that so our spirit man came alive. Yeah. And so then the Bible tells us that it is a process of becoming like Jesus. It is an upward call um, that we are being transformed. We we are transformed in our spirit, but our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, our intellect is being transformed. And it will not be completely transformed until we see Jesus and our body. Good Lord, help us. I don't, I don't, nothing can help that thing except until uh, we get to see Jesus. We can do the best we can. We can run, we can walk, we can eat right. We can put the sugar down, but it is still a dying body. So it will be transformed. So yes. spirit's transformed. Our soul is being transformed and our body will be transform one day so good but, you know it, so but it's we feel all this pressure we feel all this pressure in the church and especially in leadership that you know we're supposed to pose perfect and we're supposed to uh, let everybody think that we are this hyper spiritual person who never struggles and that's just not true I mean, that's yeah. the bottom line. That's a lie. Yeah. Well, and that's the Sunday church, right? That's the Sunday yeah. church mentality. It's like, let's check this box, put on your pretty dress. We just fought in the car and be yeah. quiet when you go in, put on your happy face, dry your eyes. Right. Yes. And and I, that's how I was raised. And right. I think a lot of people were. And so I love there was a component of your book um, and the, in the beginning chapters. And it was talking about the mask that we wear. And at some point um, from whether it's childhood adolescence, adulthood, into your marriage, whatever it is, you can't really decipher, is this actually me? Right. Or is this the mask? Or is this societal expectations? And, and I love that so understanding. Yeah. yeah. You've just played that role so long and you've become what you needed to become to fit in, to not get in trouble, to make people happy. Um, and But you're miserable on the inside. You're just, you know, all of us, I believe every human, whether you're a drug addict, um, a stripper, a doctor, a lawyer, where, whatever you, where you ever you find yourself, a stay-at-home mom, we all have this innate desire that God put in us to be loved, to love and to be loved, and to live a good life and to be happy. I believe we all want that, but the problem is the pursuit of it. Uh, we we go to all these right. different places, <laughs> all these wells, and all these shopping trips and these mm. vacations and excursions and people, places and things. And, mm. you know, Psalm 107 tells us only Jesus can satisfy the longings in our soul. And he knew we would have these longings, you know, our emotional needs to be filled. But he told he tells us, he says, oh, only I can fill that void. But, you know, like knock, knock, anybody home, it's like we don't hear it, don't get it, don't believe it. So we think the next pocketbook will make us feel better or the next girl's trip will make us feel better. Or if we could just live in that one house, in that one neighborhood, you know, it feels so validated and important and we get there and it's not enough. And it's just like that, that hole in the bottom of our bucket and. And then that's where we just start messing up. We just start drowning and and we get lost in it. And and, you know, it's just it's just simply coming back to the basics, being honest. I'm not perfect. I don't like you, (laughs) Uh, honey. 
I don't like you right now. Yeah. We're just saying it in our mind. Yeah. And then go in to get help and get, get, get a different perspective. Talk to a pastor, talk to a counselor. You know, I know what I'm 52 years old. Nobody talked about this when I was coming up in church and I was brought up in a holiness church. Well, first I was in Southern Baptist <clears throat> and then 12 years old, we went to the holiness church and, you know, our whole, the whole preaching and thought there was you come to the altar and everything is taken care of at the altar. And if it's not, something's wrong with you. And I've seen the Lord do amazing, miraculous things at the altar. I've seen people delivered. I've seen, uh, marriages restored. I've seen drug addicts go to the altar as a drug addict and get up and they never had a craving again. I've seen mighty miracles, but the majority of things that have to do with our emotional man, our soulish man, our wants, our our cravings, our desires, our thought patterns, the way we think about ourselves, what we were told when we were younger, you know, you'll never be good enough. You'll always be like your dad. Those things really and truly affect us. And, and it takes a lot of work to come out of that thinking. It takes a lot of work to even identify those lies that we've taken to be the truth. And, and, and then we start operating out of those lies that are truth to us now. Uh, and most people are not willing to work. You know, we we just think, well, I'll get to it later or, you know, just my 30 minutes in the morning is enough. And uh, even if we do that once a week, you know, I'm on Netflix and Instagram and Facebook and we wonder why our life's a mess. Right. Right. Well, there's so many deposit opportunities at this point, right? We can get a fulfillment, a quick fix, if you will, if we're looking at it from drugs, if you're looking at it from alcohol, if you're looking at it from sex, if you're looking at it from social media endorphins. I mean, there are so many things, food simply, right? And it's like so supersonic and you're expecting it to happen. Have you watched um, The Social Dilemma? Did you watch that? Right. And it's like we're puppets, right? Based on consumerism, based on marketing um, and also based on our fleshly desires. And we're not willing to put them to the side side to actually keen back into that that actual innate identity, the the actual innate identity of before we were born, we were his. Yeah. And we're still his today, but we're thinking that we belong to and we're being okay with being puppeteered to every other thing in society. And yeah. so I love, I love that analogy that you're saying. And I think it's so important that people realize that those deposits are exactly what is drawing us off course from him. Right. And it's all day, every day. Yeah, so there's the alignment zone where, yeah. where do we come into fulfillment? I always told our kids and we have three kids and uh, they weren't easy kids, you know, cause they're Ron's children. Of course, you know. of course. Um, so <laughs> they get all that from me. But, um, but no, that's a lie. I'll read my book. You'll see where they got it. <laughs> Truth. Right in chapter one, y'all. Right. I mean, literally I one. <laughs> but I always told them growing up when they would, you know, well, mama, why can't I? Or I, I, I want to serve the Lord or I love Jesus, but I can't help. I did blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, here's your life. Just look at it as a scale. And so here's the world and here's the things of God. What are you putting? Which side is heavier? You know that they're like, why do I keep doing what I'm doing? I'll show you. Look at what all what you're feeding yourself. Is it things of the world? Is it secular music? Is it all your bad friends? Is it, you know, all that? Or is it, are you spending time with the Lord? Are you 
Are you in the word? Are you in prayer? Are you in church? Are you really seeking God? Whatever you sow to, what the Bible says, is what's going to win. Always is what's going to win. And, you know, I I use this analogy and I tell it everywhere I go because it is me. (laughs) I can say that I hate these thighs all day long. I can say that I hate this cellulite on my thighs all day long. But if I'm not willing to get up and go to the gym and push my plate back and not eat those amazing crinkly French fries, (laughs) you know, I can say that I hate it all day long, but I really don't hate my thighs. Mm -hmm. I love my French fries more than I hate my thighs. So, you know, we're not willing to put in the hard work and and, and to to be free. That's what we're talking about. That's what this book is about. You know, letting God get in there, dig in there, use all our junk, use all our mistakes and come out free, come out clean, being real. You know, until we're really willing to put in the work, um, we're going to live that miserable life. And it's not the life God called us to. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. And have it more abundantly. Not that you will. He's When he finished the work on the cross and he sat down, he said, it is finished. His job in our life is done. But now it's our job to continually pursue the upward call and to become more like Jesus. He said, there is this abundant life that I have called you to. But you have got to do the work. And yeah. we're just bottom line lazy. Yeah. We won't. Yeah. We won't very dust. <laughs> we want quick stuff. We want instant grits. We want everything quick. But if you've ever had good grits, like I make, <laughs> I knew you were gonna, I'm like Southern girl has to talk about grits here. You will not ever want instant grits again or instant oatmeal. True. <laughs> I love love that. that. And I think that you're so right, especially in the component of knowing that instantaneous satisfaction. And yet at the same exact time, I've learned in my spirit experience with God, my relational experience, my intimacy with him, that he actually will fulfill in the same exact way if you're pursuing him wholeheartedly. Right. And, and those miracles that you're talking about at the feet of the altar, um, it, it is instantaneous. And at the same exact time, our ability to fall in line, right, or yeah. to pursue or to run that race, that good and faithful servant yeah. every day. The, the phraseology I always say is always becoming. Yes. We're, we're not we're not reaching a perfection zone here on earth. No, we're no. seeking to be like Jesus, yeah. Christ like 1000%. But Absolutely. he doesn't say that you're going to be Christ. No, right? not at all. And, <laughs> no. and so it's, it's being willing. And this is where I think our stories collide so beautifully is it's being willing to wave the white flag yeah, and being willing to say one, I need help. Yeah. And two, I messed up big. And three, I surrender. I surrender it all to you in spite of myself, specifically for your name to get the glory here. I need you. And that's when he miraculously, instantaneously comes in to control the life that we so desperately hold on to. Yeah, it's really simple. Is a part of your life. Yeah, it's really so simple. It's really just surrendering. You know, we are all control freaks. We really are. We want to control everything. And we think our way is the best way all the time. And even with our relationship with God, you know, we just, we, we reason out, we ration out, we 
I'll be okay. I'll get to this next week, you know, but it, but it's not, it is just a trap and a trick of the enemy. It's got to be as consistent as brushing our teeth. Mm. You know, that's something you just don't miss because you know, the importance of it in, in it's got to be consistent as getting our rest. It is that vital to, to our life is our time with the Lord. And, And if we don't have it, uh, you'll end up in a hot mess. And I did. And because I worked in the ministry, but I, I, I worked for the Lord and I was so broken, but I did not know where to go or how to fix it. And that's because such a message to so many is the works. Yeah. We get stuck in the works because we're taught to use your gifts and talents for the church. Yeah. Right. And how many pastors I see or how many volunteers I see who end up getting completely burnt because they're not actually visibly being seen in their soul or spirit yeah. man yeah. on the outside. They're fulfilling a role and they're doing good works. But that means their mask has to be on at every given moment. You're the door holder. You can't be a sloppy mess right now. Right? (laughs) Get your act together. (laughs) So, so talk, talk us through like that, that public surrender that had to occur with you that didn't have to, again, this is back to choice, right? You had a choice in this experience and this, this um, surrender. And so I love to hear about that side of it as well. Absolutely. Well, the, the good, the, the golden line in all this is that, even in my worst day, I loved the Lord. Uh, I knew as a young girl that God had had his, put his hand on me. I knew that God had called me to ministry. Um, I remember at 15 years old, my mom, she would drag me to all these women's conferences, these Christian believers, united meetings. And But I remember being there and I would see these women preaching and what it would do to my heart. And, and I remember sitting there thinking, I'm going to do that one day. That's what I want to do. I want to speak and watch people's lives be impacted and changed and feel like I feel right now. And so throughout even my journey um, of just coming to the bottom of me, uh, I love the Lord. And I remember even in our worst days, you know, when when I was going through what I was going through and, and I'll get to that, Ron would Ron would look at me and say, what is wrong with you? And I'd say, you know what? I don't know. I said, I, and I really didn't. I said, but I know two things. I know that I love Jesus and I know that I love you. And I, that may not make sense right now because we were really struggling and going through it. So in 2004, I woke up that morning, one morning, and I said, I can't live like this anymore. I had quickly, I'll go back. I had, I was raised in a very strict, very strict Christian home and they meant well, they really did, but they were very strict. They were, uh, you know, if it makes you grin, it must be sin. You couldn't do anything. I couldn't go to the sock cops. I couldn't go to friend's house. I couldn't do anything fun. Couldn't choose to wear the bathing suit I wanted to wear. It had to be approved. You know, I couldn't date who I wanted to date. It had to be approved. And I mean, just the reins, the reins, the reins, like I was two years old until I left the house, you know, and I've learned now after much counseling that, Everybody has to go through what's called individuation where, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, you start making your own choices. You know, you burn your fingers on the stove, so to speak. And even if it's wrong, you know, yeah, you said sock cops. That's funny, right? Um, 
Man, days have changed, right? Uh, <laughs> I love it. It's so true, though. And that's like this really beautiful parallel because there are surely things that I can think of my nieces and my children who will be thinking about the parallel to what's a sock op to what's yeah. happening now, right? That's really good. Yeah. But anyway, um, I wasn't allowed to do any of that. And so uh, I've learned that, you know, you you will do that sometime in your life. And, and the world calls it a midlife crisis, you know, when people start acting out. But it's really those people who never got that amazing opportunity at the correct time. And they start doing it later in life when they do, like I did, just blow up on the inside and said, I cannot live like this anymore. You know, my my anxiety is going out the roof. And why? Then it makes you feel crazy because you look at your life in the natural and you're like, this is a good life. Why am I so miserable? Why do I have so much anxiety? Why? Why am I wanting to choke you today? You know, when you're a good husband, why, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh, why do that. I want to take a pillow to you in the night? You know, and it, and I shouldn't. Um, so I started in 2004, I was 35 years old and I just started making some really bad choices. Like I should have made it 12, 13, 14. And it took me down a road about nine years of just bad choices. I was unfaithful to my husband. Never planned that. Nobody wakes up one day and says, man, I just think I'm going to blow up my family or, you know, I want to hurt my, my husband so bad. The one that I actually love. But when you start opening yourself up to those things, the enemy will come to you and say, oh, you deserve this. You know, he'll start lying to you and making you think this is the route you're supposed to be on. So it was a journey. I'm telling you, nine years, horrible. And I'm still leading. I'm still in public. I'm still pastoring a church. I'm still a mom. I'm still a wife. I mean, can you imagine the turmoil in my mind as if I wasn't anxiety ridden enough? That put on it, the double life and me really loving Jesus and loving my husband. So in 2013, I came to him and I said, I can't live like this anymore. I came clean, told him everything. And, um, you know, I expected him just to wrap his arms around me and we're going to get through this. But he uh, said, hope I can't live like this anymore. He said, you know, I've got a worldwide ministry to steward. We've got children. Something's wrong with you. You've got to get help. You need to pack your stuff and leave. Mm. Wow. That was on a public stage. That was on a worldwide ministry. And I'm telling you, it was the most devastating, humiliating thing. But I knew, you know, I, I, I knew I was wrong. I knew I could not even stand up and say, but, 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 you know, so I packed my stuff and I left. And, you know, that was the saddest day for me because I remember going up the interstate and I was scrolling through my phone and thinking, who can I call? Where could I go? And, you know, I didn't have one person to call because everybody in our life, we employed, you know, or worked for us or were under us in ministry. And of course they were going to be on Ron's side. I was wrong. So who's going to open their doors to me? And it, I'm telling you, it was, that's where the book came from. The most beautiful disaster because to the world, it was the most horrible thing to the, to our family, to our kids, to Ron, to me, to, to the church. It was the most horrible thing. But to me, that right there was the most beautiful thing that ever happened to me because I was reduced to nothing. I was reduced to nothing, but Jesus, I had no more excuses. I, I was pinned up against a wall. 
And I had a choice. I was at a crossroads and I had to, you know, I could have left. I tell people I could have left and went to Miami and sold margaritas on the beach. <laughs> yes, you could have. <laughs> but that makes you grin. And so therefore it's a sin. I'm never yes. going to lose that. <laughs> so, but you know, I said, you know what? I am going, I have nowhere to go. I was fired. <laughs> I was taking off all the church documents as founder. And I mean, everything we'd ever worked for. Because at that point, Ron was not willing to reconcile our marriage. And that's a whole nother story we'll talk about later. You know, the miracle that God did there. But um, yeah, I think I, the, that conversation is identity, right? Yeah. The identity that you had built for so long, the titles, the labels, the perception oh, of dripped, uh, gone. And, and I've dealt with this. So I like everything that you're saying. I'm like, oh, yes, it's so good. Mine was a quarter life crisis. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what I call it. But it, it happened soon. And I'm so grateful for that. But I think that the labels, the end of me, like you said, and there's yeah. an amazing book by Kyle Eidelman that was a part of my journey and, and understanding where was I and why was I having such um, longing for more? And it was because I was stripped of the things that I thought were relevant or important or satisfaction. And yeah. in fact, it's that place of nowhere land, <laughs> that place where yeah. you got nowhere else to go, that God shows up in such an yes. amazing way to, to rescue us. He does. And he did. <laughs> it was not quick. It was not easy. It was the most horrible thing that I've ever been through in my life. Um, I, I remember just grabbing things out of my closet and and I, I, I had like this mix match stuff. I had like six pair of pants and four or five shirts and a couple of pair of shoes and brought some, just one foot and nothing matched and, you know, just grabbed what I could. I didn't know if I would be back. I didn't know what, you know, I had no idea what was going to happen to me. And I grabbed my wedding album and I grabbed one picture album of my children. And it was just the loneliest, darkest time that I had ever, ever experienced. You go from all of this, you know, a housekeeper, uh, you know, I'm driving a Range Rover and I got Louis Vuitton luggage in the back and it means nothing. It means Still doesn't. no, Which it means nothing but today. I'm driving a doodle bug. Yes. <laughs> there you go. And I love it. <laughs> and that's the thing. It represents the unmasked version of you. So none of that other stuff that has a label matters no. because it's just what brings you joy and what gets you from point A to point B to do his work. Right. Oh that's gosh. Amazing quick commercial break. I know I hate these things too, but it's so critical that you grow your business for God's sake. And I mean that pun intended with all the love in my heart to get you from a place of ideation to activation. Stop dreaming, start doing, stand up, start saying yes to the call that God has on your life. We are going to be joining in Lexington, Kentucky with none other than the beautiful Rise and Grind community with Glenn Lundy, who will be co-hosting this incredible conference. This is the second annual, and he has taken me under his wing to be able to share this stage, to motivate and inspire, and I cannot wait to see you there. November 5th through the 7th, if you want to come in for the VIP experience, which who doesn't want to come along for VIP? That's all access passes to the speakers and the artists and you'll be able to dine with us in the private rooms with your own special bathrooms. So of course, come one day, two day, three day passes available as well. And we cannot wait, as Glenn and I say, to hug your neck. See you there. 
So tell me through, because this is something I, I walked through, and I know this is a, a differentiation in our storylines. You actually went to a, a, a center that helped yeah. helped in this process because there was nowhere else to go. You're like, well, I guess I should check myself in. Well, I remember waking up from night sweats and shakes and my husband wrapping his arm around me when he didn't have to. And I remember Googling and sitting at my, my counter, my breakfast bar and being like, where do I go? Yeah. What, what's wrong with me? How do, I'm not an alcoholic, though. I like alcohol. I, I am not an addict, I don't think, or maybe I am. Um, I don't know where to go. Yeah. And anywhere that seemed like a rehabilitation center for women didn't feel right. right. Yeah. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I couldn't Google it because yeah. I then then I was surrendered to God. Like there has yeah. to be. An answer. And and yet I also know the power of mental health and, the, and that oh. therapy and the surrounding of people who are like-hearted and like-minded to, to raise and Absolutely. lift you up. So talk us through that part of yeah. your story. So um, I remembered this ministry place that we used to send the other crazy people to, uh, all the other broken people. Oh, to, gosh. You know, you know the, the yeah. island of broken people. You know. Yeah, and the pointed and, finger and yeah, the three and fingers. And actuality, we're all broken and need a savior. Oh, so true. So um, it's, it's called Living Waters Ministry in North Carolina. And... And it's not like a rehab. It's not a facility. It, it, it's it's a it's a home. They live there and they have retreats every weekend and different retreats called Healing the Heart and Esther Retreat, a marriage retreat. And they've given their whole life for healing. And so I said, I'm going to call them. So I called and I told them what had happened in a very short synopsis. And I said, I just need somewhere to, to sleep. Can I come? I said, I don't want any ministry. I just want somewhere <laughs> to sleep. You know, leave me I don't alone. want your help. Don't talk to me. <laughs> and they did. They opened their arms. They made me dinner, made me breakfast. But the next morning she came in, she, she's this little short woman and she had her little sweater and she took it and she, she said, well, are we ready to get busy? And I'm like, really? It hit me upside the head. I was like, you know, am I really going to commit to this? Because I felt it. It was like so imminent that this is the beginning of forever, but it's going to be hard and it's going to be awful. And I said, yes. And she said, okay, give me your keys. Give me your phone. Give me your computer. They took my phone and they smashed it into a million pieces they took my keys. I was not allowed to go anywhere. I'm 44 years old. And what, that's what I was talking about earlier. When most people aren't willing to do the hard work, you know, most people are willing to say, I'm a grown woman, you know, the yeah, whole thing. Totally. I can do whatever I want to do. You can't tell me what to do. Yep. But I was stripped to nothing. Yeah. And our Ron's sent a security person up to get the car, took the car away. I had no ability to go anywhere. I had to ask permission, somebody to take me to a CVS for anything I needed. My roots eventually had grown out to nothing. I mean, to just the original brown color. My, yeah. my acrylic grew off. I, I mean, nothing. I had nothing. <clears throat> and But I got to work. I started getting to work. Well, it makes okay. me think of uh, every uh, miracle almost in the Bible. And yep. the question that Jesus asked before the miracle happens is, do you want to get well? Yeah. Do you want to be healed? Do yeah. you want to walk? Do you want to see? And it took their yes 
before the miracle ever set in. Right. And so it's that desire. We have to want it. And, and I have so many people in my life who I can bear witness to that they don't want it. No. And and everything is taken from them and they're still sitting there controlling something. Yeah. I'm yeah. not sure what. They still know, love you know? the French fries more than they want the Yes. Fries. Thank you for that easy analogy. Yes. Right. And so you wanted it and, and I wanted it. And I, and I've also on the contrary, seen so many people who want it. Yeah. And, and so talk us through like what happened next. I'm so curious. Wow. Uh, so we got work. We just started digging. We started digging. Um, you know, she didn't even really talk about like the, the, unfaithfulness. She didn't really talk about, you know, the living a double life. She, because there's always a why, you know, here we are a super religious people in the church. We want to point out the the fruit. We want to point out, you know, what people have done, but there's always a why. Um, So, it's not about, you know, what you did. It's that if there's always a bad fruit, then there's a root. So we okay. got to dig to the root. <clears throat> so we started digging to the root. So she went all the way back to childhood. And you know, most people laugh about therapy, about that. They're like, oh, but they always want to go to your childhood. But the truth is, you know, everything, we're so impressionable. Our brain is forming. Our, our, our emotional tank is forming. Everything is forming. So it's everything that that we think, feel, or do has come from our brain. And one of the most, the hugest aha moments for me in therapy was in going through healing was to realize, I mean, I knew it, but I didn't know it, that my brain is an organ. Mm. It's Mm. not a machine. Like this Mm. computer I'm looking into, my brain is an organ, just like my heart, just like my liver, like my intestines, and just like everything that I put in my body, everything that I do to myself, um, even stress affects our body, our, our heart. It affects our in, um, intestines. Everything that is put into us, into our brain, affects our brain. And what does our brain control? How we think and how we feel and how we react. So she went all the way back to childhood and the way I was raised and what I did and didn't get as a child. And I wrote a whole book, uh, a whole chapter in the book about the emotional needs we're supposed to get in children. And, and if we did or didn't get it, how that makes us go into adulthood with longings. You remember, cause only Jesus can satis- satisfy the longings of our soul. And what is our soul? It's our emotional man. Yep. So if we, we have longings, that means we didn't get something because our parents are put in our life to fill those voids because they are representatives of Jesus and God in our life at an early age. So we did such a good job in that chapter, by the way, because I think it not only does it convict me to be a better mom, but it also convicts me in the perspective of my own mom and then her own mom and the generational passes thereafter. It's actually has. And I think this is a fear that a lot of people have is I don't want to go back to my roots because I don't want to shame my parents exactly. you know, we're called to honor our father and mother. Yes. And the more that I dig, the more that I learn about myself and not just myself, but the generations before me, the more awareness I have of where I am today. Yeah. And I, I think hard beautiful. conversations, I had, yeah. had really hard conversations with my parents mm-hmm. and I tell about that in the book that I was raised so strict that, you know, you don't talk back. You don't, you know, you hmm, are you hmm, if you talk back and, you know, you honor your mom and dad. And and, uh, 
so I was afraid to have these conversations, but I, I would sit down with them. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. You know, it's not screaming and hollering. And why did you do this? Speaking the truth in love. So we, I would ask them, mom and dad, we got to sit down and, you know, the more books I would read, the more revelation I got, the more things that would come up in, in our sessions, I would say, I got to talk to you again. You know, did this happen? Uh, did dad do this sometime in our, your marriage? Did you do, you know, what happened with your upbringing? And man, the things that I learned from how they were raised is why they did what they did because right. they never got healing. You they know, did the people. best that they could. Yes. And that's the where like, they have. Yeah, totally. and, and thank God, right? And thank God that we are in the becoming process. Thank God yes. that they weren't perfect because that'd be a lot of expectation for yes. us to live on. But it's also a higher calling, right? It is. It, it, we have to be better. We have to be better for our children. We have to be better for the generations to come. And when we talk about generational bondage, this is what we're talking about. This is yeah. why we're talking about it because we've seen it play out in our own life, what that can actually do in the destruction that the enemy is at works within in so many yeah. different people, marriages being a priority and an identity being the second priority, if not the first, based on how things are going in the church now. And so um, I, I just think that it's so important for us to realize that the the therapy stigma is is such a lie. It's an, yeah. it's an enemy tactic. I need a personal trainer, no different than I need, you know, the, the manicurist. Right. <laughs> Actually, that's probably not a great analogy, but you get what I'm saying, right? <laughs> but we do need a manicurist. We do, right? <laughs> so in, in parallel to, to that lightheartedness, like we also need, just like we need a doctor to fix when something's yes. wrong with our body, the mind, the brain being an organ, it needs nurturing. It needs yes rehabilitation and reconfiguring of what had been transpiring at this point for 40, 40 years. That's a lot of reconfiguring, right? Yeah. I had, I had slipped into patterns over the years of just things like responding when I felt pressed, um, uh, lying because growing up, the only way not to get that terrible punishment was to lie. So when I would feel threatened or I would be just dumb stuff, I mean, just really dumb stuff. Like Ron would say, you got a hundred dollars to go to the grocery store. And when I'd get home, he'd say, how much did you spend? And I'd say 85 when I really spent 108, he wasn't going to slap me over 108, $8 over the budget. You know, he just wanted to know to be able to budget our money. But I felt that pressure and I felt that anxiety in in my brain had gone had taught me over time repetition that this is how you respond and it's it was habitual. It's second. It's second nature. You're not even thinking about right. the fact that you're lying, but those little white lies when you're when you're you're you habitually do it. Eventually, the bigger lies become less important. Oh yeah, and right? it doesn't feel big because no. it's just habitual. It's, yeah, <laughs> you're so yeah. right. But yeah, so it took a while, and thank God that our brain is malleable. I mean, it 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 can be shaped and reshaped and formed. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, Father God, for that making our brain that way. That no matter what we've gone through, and no matter how it has affected us, Lord, that you made us to where we can. We can change our brain. We can change our mind. We can change our thinking. 
We can change. There's hope today for people who are listening. You are not a lost cause. You are not hopeless. God made you so miraculously that, yes, it's going to take work, but you can change anything. Yeah. Start renewing. Yes. All the time. But it also comes by the action and the choice. You have to want it, like we said at the beginning, and then you have to act upon it. Yeah. I think sometimes people will get stuck in the in the desire. And someone that uh, named Danelle Delgado, who speaks into um, my life as well from a coaching perspective, she says that she thinks the most addictive drug in all of the world is hopium. So it parallels wow. to your name very well. I knew I had wow. to share it with you. And she says everybody just sits and they hope. I hope this happens. Mm. I hope I can be healed. I hope I can make a million dollars. I hope I can make a great impact. I hope my this, that, Mm -hmm. and nobody, most people don't act. Yeah. They don't do so because they're not willing to surrender Yeah, because we're really all about driving the nice ride. Yeah. And if we have the keys in our hand, then we know where we're going. Yeah. So that surrender and that becoming process that you're doing, even as you're sitting there, like in that malleable state, right? He is the potter. We are the clay. He's, he's willing to work with us. He's never going to leave the wheel. He's never going to leave us. And so knowing that you're in this place, everything is stripped from you. At this point, you have no interaction with your family, your church family, your husband, Mm -hmm. and you're just sitting there like working, being worked on. Right. And, and it's this knowing that in that surrender, you still might leave with nothing. Yeah. I had yet, no hope. Him, yeah, I, had, I had no hope that my uh, marriage was going to be restored. I had no hope that God would ever use me again. I had nothing. You know, my husband met with lawyers several days after I left and announced to the church that we were divorcing and that he had no desire to reconcile telling you I've seen God do miracle after miracle after miracle. And I remember praying, just sitting there one day. And I said, God, if you never, if I don't get my husband back, if I, if, if I have to see my kids, you know, every other week, Oh, that was horrible. I just had our, we just had our first grandbaby. And then when I got there, I found out my son and his wife was pregnant with their second kid. And Oh, it was just killing me, devastating me. And, all the milestone moments I missed with my first grandson. And then our oldest son was in graduating high school. And it was just, I just felt like so, such a loser, so horrible. And I remember saying to the Lord, I said, God, if you never give me my family and marriage back, God, if, if I never hold a mic again, if I never even get to minister for you, God, I just want you to fix me. I need you to fix me. And he did. But then he gave me all the good stuff back too. Mm, he, <laughs> he, does. he gave me my family does. back and my marriage and it's better than ever. Mm. I mean, if I had to go through everything I've gone through to have what we have today, mm. as far as our love and our health and, you know, just our communication and being able to be open and honest and man, it's so good. It's so miraculous. Yes, it is. Right. And it's, it's this knowing that everyone has access to it. 
because yes. you're not exclusive to the kingdom of God. No, right? <laughs> like we love you. I love you. I think your <laughs> ministry is amazing. You and Ron are, are superstars in my book, but it's the knowing that every single one oh, that he yes. created, that he shapes every single day is, is willing and purposed for the same exact gift, for the same exact exchange of what you thought was good enough for the great what you felt was anxious for the release yeah. of. And, and I think the biggest thing for me is, and one of the words you use is that communication. Yeah. And, and I think that's where we, I wasn't taught well enough when I was no, young. I how, how do I communicate my emotions? How do I communicate my, my desires? How do I communicate my needs? Both from a parental perspective, sure, we've yeah. talked a lot about that, but even to my siblings, even to my friends, everything was like, I don't, I, I think I'm supposed to be quiet about that. Yeah. I don't think I'm supposed to talk about that. Yeah, I wasn't so, allowed. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to say to myself. No. It didn't matter in my home. Yep. I remember after being reprimanded we after being reprimanded sometimes for hours right that's where the little white lies start so you don't have to sit yeah. in that chair across from daddy it is um i was silenced first off so i had a hard time with my voice but then we were expected to go and give him a hug mm. and and then you can go up to go to bed and oh i always felt so wrong right. i always felt so frustrating and i was always like i don't want to hug you just like you said i want to put the pillow over your face yes so you're then you're then your body is now in action against its will yes. and you just feel conflicted. And that's one example of bajillions. Right. Yes. And so the communication part, not just with our spouse, which is fundamentally and critical for your home, yeah. um, but for your with yourself. How, how do you feel? Why are you acting this way? What is yeah. what is the purpose of that? And then taking all of those things and putting them first and foremost, in parallel to your communication with God. Yeah. And my mom, who is here listening right now and uh, an amazing woman of God, um, newly in her faith, which is just beautiful to witness. Um, she had a friend recently ask her, like, how do you pray? Like, wh wow. what does that even mean? I've never prayed. I can't pray. I don't know how. Everybody's so flowery. Everything is so picture perfect. <laughs> right. And, and she said, you just talk. Yeah, it was. It's such a wise, simple concept. Yeah. You just share from the depths of your soul. Yeah. One, he already knows it. But what if you got to do that with your spouse freely every single day? What if you got to do that with your children? The trust that would be instilled, the longevity of relationship based yeah. on communication, and communication is based on intimacy. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. So, so you. It is. It's so freeing. I'm like, oh, wow, I can actually share and release. Because like you said, if you don't release, there then becomes a suppression that then it becomes an action. You have to act eventually. The stress has to be removed. Right, and right. What we're presented with on a consistent basis is those quick wins to satiation. Yeah. And that's and that's, that's, why the Lord, that's why the word, word tells us, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Because if, if the sun goes down and you haven't dealt with it, it gets into your heart and then it becomes part of your life. It becomes your reality. So it's, I tell people it's just talking and communication quickly is like going out to your yard and you see this one weed that just sprouted up. If you get it right then, you just take your little fingers and poop, it's up, it's gone, it's out. Yeah. And it doesn't heart. have to be it's like done. hard, right? It doesn't have to be like, done. can we sit down later to talk about that thing yeah. that you said? It doesn't have to be like no. that. And be like, 
you just said this and and did you mean it this way yeah rather than the immediate pounce right it's yeah. like this is how i felt when you said that just yeah. so you know and you're like oh my gosh that's not what i meant at all yeah. or that's not my intention at all oftentimes i believe people are good natured their intention is is good and and yet it doesn't mean that they can communicate well because they likely weren't taught either right and so i think that that is such a key fundamental piece to every single thing that we do. Um, it's what we're doing right now, right? Absolutely. To allow other people into the secret places of our soul and our testimonies. And so you're, you are in this little woman's house in this amazing ministry, Living Waters Ministry. And what happens next in, in obviously the spoiler alert, we know we're together. We know that you guys are leading a worldwide ministry. Um, and then this book, when was the book birthed? Oh, wow. I knew when I was at Living Waters, once we had reconciled, we started. I'll just have to tell you that little part of the story. It's just such an amazing story. But I knew after we'd reconciled, I knew God was birthing it. I've got to get this out because um, the first scripture that God gave me was Genesis 50, 20. It's the Joseph story, you know, where they were coming. They were starving. They needed food. But Joseph was in charge and he sees them coming and most preachers and people say what the devil meant for evil. And it's not that at all. He looked at his brothers and he said, what you meant for evil. He said, God meant for good, you know, for his glory, comma, and the salvation of many. So God spoke to me and he said, Hope, what you're going through really isn't even about you. I was like, well, gee, thanks, God. <laughs> it really is pretty hard for it not to be about me. It feels like it is, you know, because you're beating the life out of me. Yes. Um, he said, but no, it's about the people you're going to help. So I knew that God would require a lot of humiliation on my part and a lot of courage on my part to be able to not just get healed, but get healed and then tell the story to help bring other people out of darkness into light. And, you know, most people don't write books about their failures. They write books about their triumphs and how, you know, amazing they are and what they've learned. And they're an expert on the story, but on the subject, but I knew that God was going to make me share it because I knew what he had done in my life. And I knew that I had the tools. I had the pathway, you know, there is a path. He says he leads us in a path of righteousness for his namesake. And I knew that God had given me a path. So I, so I was like, you know, let's just wait. And it's been nine years um, since we went through what we went through, but we had a lot of work to do. We had a lot of healing to do. And I was not going to write it until Ron gave me the go ahead. Mm -hmm. And so he really encouraged me about three years ago to go ahead and start writing. And, and then it just came out May 4th. That is so incredible. And I remember when you took the stage so gracefully, like about, it was about four-ish years ago when I came down to your all's church when you guys were still in Greenville and um, hearing your story actually through the grapevine at that point at the um, leadership conference you guys were yes. hosting, you didn't talk about that. You were just being you, right? And, and yeah. the newness and the redemption and all of the all of the glory that he and favor that he had graced on your life. And someone through the grapevine was like, hey, did you hear this part of her testimony? And it sort of felt like gossip, right? Like somebody's yeah. reading the mail and then like, hey, sliding it across the table. Yeah. Like this, right? Yeah. And at the same exact time, it was exactly what I needed. It was the hope no yeah. pun intended, I yeah. needed to say, you're made for greatness. Wow. And, and what you have done in the past, it doesn't define you. No. That God has more in store for you and that you get to say yes to all of your dreams, all those little girl dreams that hope had. 
I'm going to do this today. God, I know that this is a part of what's to come. And you, you trusted him in that and he fail you. No. And then now the platform is there and it's not about you. No, it's about him. Because like you said, nobody, nobody waves that surrender flag. That's super sweaty. Probably got blood on the midst of it. You might've wiped yourself times, the sweat, tears, all the things, the makeup's off, right? It's, it's not comfortable, No, but it is worth it. Oh, when you know he's doing it, you see all the things he's doing little by little by little. And this miracle happened. And this miracle, you're like, okay, beat me some more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, What's next? Crush me some more. Oh, man, this was so good. Crush me some more. So, <laughs> so I mean, You just see him start moving so powerfully in your life. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this isn't fake. This is for real, for real. Yes. So you just love crawling back up on that potter's wheel. <laughs> And they're like, why is she at the altar again? I thought she was already redeemed, right? And you're like, that's not how this thing works. I always tell people that I come to these conversations and to every day of my life in in that state of surrender, my hands wide open for a desired conviction. And and like, what do you have to teach me today, God? Like, what is that, that, that message or that conviction that can then alter the course of my becoming? that alters that beautiful disaster into something more beautiful. And and I I haven't actually um, figured out what that is for this conversation because I feel so attuned to what the spirit has done in both of our lives and that redemption factor. But I would love for you to speak in to the person who might be in an open heart state that is is yearning for their own conviction. They haven't already received it in this conversation, but more so is, is yearning for that redemption. Yeah. Um, for the beautiful part of what yeah. they might feel is a little disaster. I just know that, you know, if you're listening and, and, and I know you are because you're a human and I know that we all want to be loved and we all want to be good and we all want to be amazing and we all want to be fulfilled. You know, we all want to do the thing that we're created to do. We just don't know how. But I want to tell you, If you don't fight, then you don't win. You have got to somehow muster up the the fight back in you to get up and say, you know, yeah, I have fallen 87 times and I, I am 48 years old and it looks like a hot mess. You, you got to get back up again. You've got to do it because if you don't fight, then you don't win. If, if you don't continue to pursue, if you don't continue to read, if you don't continue to go to church when you feel fake, if you don't continue to lift your hands, you're going, you're, you're not going to make it. And I would encourage you also to, to do something different. If you've come to this point in your life, you're 40 years old, you're 44, 48, 56, even 35. And it's just still this endless cycle of failure. You need to probably do something different because, you know, the definition of insanity is, you know, you keep doing the same thing, but you're expecting a different result. You've got to change it up. You've got to maybe you're going to the wrong church. Maybe you're going to a church where they won't allow you to be honest. And and it's the picture perfect little, uh, you know, me, uh, what you call it? little white upper-class people going to church, all the same church. And, you know, everybody appears to have it all right. And, uh, you know, maybe you need a different church. Maybe you you need a counselor. Maybe you need to move. You know, you need to ask God, God, what, 
I'm stuck in this rut and God, I'm willing to do the hard work. I'm willing to, to, to give it all up and do whatever you ask me to do. But the bottom line is if you don't fight, you don't win. I could have laid there in 2013 at that ministry house and I could have just drowned in my sorrow. It was awful. It was horrible. Um, I can't even explain to you. Bishop Jakes told me a couple of years ago, he said, hope what you've done. He said, is just, he said, most people in your position wouldn't have done. He said, because falling apart publicly, what the damage that does to you emotionally. He said, on top of what you'd already been through, he said, just the falling apart publicly is just a lot to come back from. And I mean, I really could, I could have laid there in, in my misery and died and just said, okay, whatever. And went on my way, but I was willing because I knew that God had a better plan for me. I knew that God, the life that he had called me to, and not just because it's ministry, it's because he died for me. Mm-hmm. That's so so good. you may not be called to ministry, but he died for you. He, he purchased you. He mm-hmm. bought you with a very high price because he thought you were worth that. You are worth that. So you got to get up and you got to muster up enough strength to be willing to fight so that you can see the plan and purpose of God come, come through in your life. Mm, that is so powerful. And as you're talking, I was thinking how we're on this fit in faith podcast. And I talk about fit being around all components of self, right? That mind, that body, that soul, but it ultimately comes down to the fact that in order to be fit, in order to fight, you have to act. Yeah. And, and that's the action of our faith. It's the believing before we're healed that he will do it because he's done it a thousand yeah. times before. He'll do it again. He'll do it again and again and again. Yeah. And if he did it for her and he did it for me and he did it for him, he'll do it for you too. Absolutely. And that's that's the belief without seeing, right? Faith is is not seeing what will happen. It's the knowing and believing what will become. Hope you are a treasure and I am honored to have you as a mentor and a sister and um, uh, honored to watch you take stage the way that you do, because you let God precede you into every place. And so I pray that your ministry just continues to blossom, that the people that you get to impact around the globe, um, primarily around the globe, because the nations need to hear his goodness and see his miracles and you and Ron are a miracle. Um, and so thank you. Thank you for, for doing it publicly. Thank you. Thank you for having me so that I could tell it so that I could encourage somebody else. You guys got to get the most beautiful disaster. It is her new book. It is incredible. I'm listening in on audible because I love her Southern twang. And <laughs> <laughs> I got to have grit. Somebody on here who's live said they've never had grits. I'm like, Oh Lord, I got to take you to hope. Uh, and, and anywhere on social media, you'll find her and her husband's ministry and just get in touch with her. She is a, a good human and I'm grateful to know her. Thank you. Hope. Oh, thank you so much. God bless you. You too. Hey y'all, it's me again. I hope in today's episode, you sense and ignite to an ember within you. Something mentally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually moving that creates and sustains a fire within your journey. Before you go, let's solidify the flame. I'd love for you to take a step right now in declaring your takeaway. 
by snapping a pic of the episode you tuned into, share your sparked moment, and tag me at fitandfaith underscore podcast or me personally at tamra.andress on Insta. I hope that I can keep you accountable and also share you with the greater community of the Fit and Faith podcast listeners. We're totally in this together. Community over competition is the motto, right? I'd also be incredibly grateful if you took an extra second to leave a review on iTunes or your podcast listening app. I'd love to feature your thought in the next episode and give you and your passion project a big shout out. You know I'm a writer, so I love words and I can't wait to read what you have to say. I'm ready to fuel the flame with you together. And until next time, blessings over your joy, health, wealth, and wholeness. Tune in next time. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.